I believe Jesus frees us from ourselves, <laughs> from our pridefulness, when we're really having to struggle with something, when we're really being broken. I remember thinking the thing I want most is to be the best teacher, the best mom, and um, I'm gonna just do the greatest I can with it. And then we had a child with special needs. And it was the most humbling thing because it often was very embarrassing, the, the outbursts that would happen in public places, uh, the difficult behavior um, that would happen. Um, just really, really humbled me because it was showing me that I was not in complete control. I was not um, <clears throat> the judgment I'd had maybe for others previously um, was really taken away. And it gave me a much deeper appreciation for other people's needs. Good morning. It's a fun feeling when three of the five babies being baptized have more head on their, or hair on their head uh, than you do. So, uh, fun realization. Uh, welcome, everyone. So thankful to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of your pastors here at Hope. And uh, excited just to be here with you as we gather as the body of Christ. Uh, I want to invite you into something here with me today. I believe that every time that we gather for worship, there's an invitation being presented to each and every single one of us that we're being invited to meet with Jesus Christ every time we gather in an incredibly profound and personal way. That it's not just that we're gathering for an event, but we're gathering to meet with a person. And so I want to invite you to join in with something with me. Imagine you come to worship here today, just like maybe you normally do, and you walk through the doors of the church, but something just feels a little bit different today. You can't tell what it is, but there's just something different in the air. You can feel it. And so you come in, you go, you open up the doors to the sanctuary, and you can tell something's happening in the front. There's a commotion up there. You're trying to look around, see what's happening, but you can't quite see what it is until all of a sudden there's a departure, and there you see him in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And your heart skips a beat. You think to yourself, could this actually be him? Is this for real? And he's talking to the people up in front and then he just suddenly pauses. And he looks up and he makes eye contact with you. And he begins to walk over to you. And he stops in front of you and he asks you a single question. What would you like me to do for you? Now I want to ask you here this morning, how are you going to respond? What are you going to say? It's a captivating question, isn't it? Because it's not surface level. It's never a question that any of us would dismiss as being irrelevant. It grabs our attention. Why is that? Because we would all have an answer. It gets us stopping whatever we're doing, whatever we're thinking about. Now we're thinking about this. How am I going to respond to Jesus? And yet consider with me that this is exactly what's being presented to us whenever we approach our Lord in prayer. That every time we come to him, it's as if he's asking, what would you like me to do for you? Have you ever thought of prayer in that way? 
I want to confess, so often, even as your pastor, there's so many times where I approach God in prayer and I forget who I'm even speaking with. I forget that the one I'm speaking with is the same one who spoke into the darkness. Let there be light. And billions of galaxies lit up the universe. I forget that the one I'm speaking with is the same one who spoke to the wind and the waves that day on the Sea of Galilee. Be still. And calmness went over the waters. I forget that the one I'm speaking with is the same one who raised Jesus Christ from the grave. He's the same one who has defeated the power of sin, death, hell, the devil, and the grave forever and ever. You see, so often when I approach our Lord in prayer, I forget that he is in control of all things. And I approach him as if I am in control of all things. That's why I just so deeply appreciated my interview with Ruth Bergstrom. We just got a chance even just to hear a little glimpse of that 20-minute interview that we had. Because what I really appreciated from her is her vulnerability. That she just said, man, the times where it's been incredibly humbling for her in her life, where she recognized that the control she thought she had was actually an illusion, was the times that she was being broken. The times where she recognized, I don't have the control I think I have in order to maneuver this situation. Let's talk about that word for a second, control. Control is putting ourselves in the place of God as we think we know what's best, and so we try to maneuver all the details of our lives. We consider God to be the one who exists for us, that God's existence is to meet my needs. Or maybe even a little bit more accurately put, God exists not just to meet my needs, but to meet my greeds. Hmm, how about that? It becomes very personal. And so what I hope that we're going to see here together this morning as we dive into our passage is that there's nothing wrong with asking God for something. He says, ask and you will receive. But there is something wrong when we see ourselves as entitled to that which we ask for. I want to say it again. I don't want us to miss this. There's nothing wrong with asking God for something. But there is something wrong when we see ourselves as entitled to that which we ask for. There's a word for this, and it's called pride. We're in a series right now at Hope that we're calling the Culture of Hope. Uh, We're calling it that because we recognize, yes, that's the name of our church, Hope Lutheran, but also we are a people of hope because of the hope that we have in Christ. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the 13 core values and practices of our congregation in a little bit more depth, and we're seeing what does this mean for us? Who are we and why do we exist in the world? Today we're going to talk about our cultural value of humility. Now, we are a people who deeply appreciates and value this idea of humility. So before I dive in, I just want to ask the question, what is humility? How would we define humility? I think whether or not you're familiar with C.S. Lewis and some of his writings, a popular Christian author, I think you've likely heard his definition of humility. This is what he says. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but is about thinking of yourself less. It's the opposite of pride. It's not building myself up, but it's building God up. It's not a desire for glory in this life, but it's shown through our plea for mercy. 
And to understand this, to kind of get into this together, we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture here this morning and see a question posed by Jesus and the different responses that happen and what that means for you and I here today. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 35. We see Jesus just got done telling his disciples what it is that must happen to him. That he must die, go to the cross, and three days later be raised to life once again. And at this point we get to Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And it says, Then James and John and the sons of Zebedee came to him, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Pause. Focus on the question. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. If you were to guess, who do you think they believe is in control in this conversation? At this point, we don't even know what it is that they're going to ask Jesus for, but we can see the demeanor in which they ask. It becomes incredibly clear that they see themselves not as ones who exist for Jesus, but they see Jesus as one who exists for them. And yet even to such a prideful, arrogant statement, look at the response of Jesus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, the humility of Jesus. Here, you see, James and John are like two lost sheep. Everything is about them. They don't even know what they're talking about. And yet, in Jesus Christ, you see nothing but the heart of a shepherd. And so they answer the question. They say, well, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your, what's that word? Glory. You see, they wanted the right and left hand of the Father in the kingdom. These were the places of highest prominence, of highest glory. It's very, uh, very prominent and very evident that they come to Jesus seeking one thing, and that is glory. They want more. They want higher status. At the banquet, they want to be the ones in the front, not the back. They want everyone to know their names. They want all power and honor and glory for themselves. I want to pause here just for a second this morning. Do you ever feel like you're in that place where you just desire more in life? There's a lack of contentment. You just want something greater. Maybe you even see yourselves as entitled to something greater. A greater job, greater pay, a better house, better car, maybe better family, better friends. We want more power. We want more influence. We just want more, whatever that is. And you see, Jesus could have just approached them and just simply said, no. But what we see is he doesn't just tell them, no, he wants them to come to this conclusion on their own. So he says, you don't even know what it is that you're asking for. You see, James and John, they had eyes they could see. But according to Jesus, they were blind. They had ears they could hear. But according to Jesus, spiritually, they were deaf. And so we continue with the passage. Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink? He's trying to reason with them. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? In other words, can you suffer as I'm about to suffer? Can you bear the weight of the world on your sh shoulders, the sin of the world? 
He's, he's trying to show him greatness is not about being high and exalted. It's actually about going to the cross. He's saying, can you go there with me? To which they ignorantly respond, we can. Sure, like whatever we gotta do, just answer our prayer. You see, they're not listening. Jesus is showing them that greatness in the kingdom is not a merit to be earned, but it's a grace to be given. Greatness in the kingdom is not about being served, but is about serving. Greatness in the kingdom is not about gaining all glory, honor, and power for ourselves, but greatness in the kingdom is actually about ascribing all glory, honor, and power to God. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is trying to get them to see one thing. The kingdom is not about you. The kingdom is not about me here this morning. It's all about Jesus. I want to share not a concern with our local church, but just the church in general, especially in America, that there's been such a focus on me, such a focus on you. You go and you hear, who is the answer to all of your problems? You are. You have the answers within yourself. If only you do this or recognize the greatness that's inside of you, then everything would be fine. Man, this is dangerous territory. This is a red flag. We got to recognize we're not the solution. We're actually part of the problem. The one who is the solution is Christ. He's the one who died for us and rose again from the grave. It's not about us. It's all about Christ. Therefore, in our services, we exalt Christ. We don't exalt ourselves. And so he goes on and he tells them, you will drink the cup I drink. You will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. In other words, you will suffer. But then he says, to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And so when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. You see, the other disciples, they knew what was going on. They weren't innocent. They had done this kind of stuff all the time, and yet they could see what was taking place, and they called James and John out on it. You see, James and John, they desired glory. They desired more and as a result, they were gracefully denied. And I think this just personifies those great words from Jesus when he said that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. James and John, they exalted themselves and so as a response were humbled. Our goal in this life, our calling, is not to seek greatness, is not to seek glory. We see that this doesn't work there must be something else that we can see and that we can move toward. So let's look at this other passage. It's the immediately following, I believe. Mark placed these two together for a very incredibly important reason. So we, we begin to see they move forward. It says, they came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples together with the crowd were leaving the city. And a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have, what's that word? Mercy on me. That's different. So we continue with the text. It says, many rebuked him. They told him, ah, be quiet. But I love this. He, he didn't listen. He began to shout all the more, son of David. There it is again. Have mercy on me. Notice what it says. It says, Jesus stopped. 
and he looked to him and he said, call him. And so they said to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And notice what it says next. It says, throwing his cloak aside. Man, I love this. It's so symbolic, just saying, it's almost as if to throw his life before Christ aside. The old is gone, the new is coming. It says that he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And what other does Jesus ask him? Say it with me. What do you want me to do for you? There it is again. Same question, different situation. And yet notice the response of the blind man. He says, Rabbi, I want to see. I want you to consider with me the multiple layers of this answer. His desire primarily is not just to see the world, but he wants to see so he can see his king. Man, let me ask you this morning, when you approach our Lord in prayer, is your primary goal just to get what you want? Or is your primary goal to see your king? When you approach our Lord in prayer, is your desire to conform his will to yours, which is control? Or is your desire to surrender all of your will to his, which is to concede? You see, James and John, they could see, but according to Jesus, they were blind. But then, Bartimaeus, this man who's blind, he can't see, but according to Jesus, he can. He's got sight. He can see more than any of them. And so what is the response? He says, go, your faith has healed you. This is so powerful. I don't often do this in my messages, but I thought it would be helpful today. The Greek word that's used for the word for heal is sesoken, which means to heal, but in many contexts also means to save. If you look at the same word used in Luke chapter 7, verse 50, it's your faith has saved you. What does that tell us here? It's telling us that there's something far greater happening than just a physical healing. There's salvation of his soul. He's being forgiven of his sin. Notice how we can see this. It says, as soon as he said this, immediately he received his sight. There's the physical healing. But notice what it says immediately after that. And he followed Jesus along the road. You see, it was all about Jesus, it wasn't just to get sight and then go and do whatever he wanted. He got sight, and what does he do? First thing with this brand new vision, he follows his Savior. See, James and John, they approach Jesus with arrogance, with pride, with a desire for more, a desire for glory. Not Bartimaeus. He approaches him with humility. It's a plea for mercy. James and John, they wanted to be the front row in the banquet, the Bartimaeus, he said, give me the back row seat, if any seat at all. He had never even been to the banquet before. He didn't care about those things. See, James and John wanted everyone to know their name, not Bartimaeus. He wanted everyone to know Jesus' name. See, James and John, they wanted all glory, honor, and power for themselves. But what we begin to see with Bartimaeus is he wanted to give all glory, honor, and power to Jesus And because of that, we see that God granted his request and he received sight. 
See, it wasn't about a desire for glory. It's all about a plea for mercy. And here's the thing. That's the message of the cross. It's a plea for mercy. That Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, did not deserve to be forsaken. He did not deserve to be betrayed. Jesus did not deserve to be whipped, to be flogged, spat on, cursed at, put a crown of thorns on his head. Jesus did not deserve to carry his own cross to where he would die. He did not deserve to go to hell, but he did for us. We deserve that. Our sin leads us to that. That's what every single one of us is deserving of. But Jesus said, no more. I'm going to take it for you. I'm going to take the sin of the weight of the world upon my shoulders. You see, if anyone was worthy of being freed from this mess, this chaos, it was Jesus. But I love the words of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 2, listen to this. He said it this way. He said, although being in the very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, humility is rooted in our understanding for our need for mercy. And you and I will never ever be humble in this life if we do not continually see our need for mercy. And so, Jesus comes to you. He asks you, what do you want me to do for you? How are you going to respond? As a people of hope, may we respond knowing that it is God who is in control of all things. That it is God who will be faithful to meet our each and every need. And that when we ask with a heart of humility, when we ask out of a plea for mercy, he will be faithful to grant us that for which we ask for. And he will open our eyes that we may truly, truly see. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we begin at this time by just acknowledging who you are. That the God we speak to in this moment is the same God who rose Jesus from the grave. The same God who spoke in billions of galaxies proceeded from his mouth. The same God who spoke to the wind and the waves, be still. And can speak to our hearts this morning, be still. Father, we recognize that yes, we are sinners in need of mercy. But as Ben said earlier, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us so that we would be the righteousness of God. So Father, come into our lives, forgive us, renew us and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. It's in that beautiful name of Jesus that we all pray and all of God's people said, amen.